everyone, welcome to another episode of Fast Talk, your source for the science of endurance performance. I'm Chris Case. BikeFit was once purely a quote-unquote philosophy. In the old days, you may have experienced getting a so-called fit by a guy at a bike shop with a plumb line and a theory. Now, BikeFit is a full-fledged science. Video cameras everywhere, 3D modeling, and so on. That being said, it's a science that is still influenced by a philosophy. What each fitter brings to the exam and the analysis that impacts his or her perspective on that fit. Today we've gathered three of the great minds in BikeFit to discuss this complex and extremely important aspect of cycling. When we sat down with them to discuss the topic, to no one's surprise, they spoke for hours, so we've decided to split this conversation into two parts. Today we start with a discussion about the philosophy of fit and how science fits into that philosophy. In part two, we'll discuss the practical implications of bike fit, from the debate over aerodynamics versus power to our guests' feelings about technology versus experience and intuition. Our guests' immense experience and influence on the world of bike fit cannot possibly be captured in a single sentence, but that's just what I'm going to try to do right now. Dr. Andy Pruitt is the director of sports medicine here at Fastoff and one of the pioneers of the study of cycling biomechanics. Our next guest has appeared on Fast Talk many times before, and he also continues to host his own podcast, Cycling in Alignment. Of course, I'm speaking of Colby Pierce. Finally, making his Fast Talk debut is Todd Carver, co-founder of Retool and the head of human performance at Specialized Bicycle Company, which owns the Retool Fit technology. What do each of our guests have to say about his fit philosophy? What's involved in a fit exactly? What's the goal of a fit? Stay tuned. Let's get you fit and make you fast. It's around this time of year that many cyclists and endurance athletes enjoy a brief off-season. Recovery is important to recharge your body and your mind for next season's preparation. Recovery from individual workouts is critical too. So, we are pleased to announce the new Recovery Pathway from Fast Talk Laboratories. Our new Recovery Pathway explores the best methods to recover from workouts, how to track and analyze recovery, and the consequences of not recovering enough. We tap world-leading experts like Dr. Shona Halson, Dr. Steven Seiler, Sage Roundtree, Dr. Andy Pruitt, and many more. About a third of our Recovery Pathway is free through our free listener membership, Optimize your recovery now. See our recovery pathway at fasttalklabs.com slash pathways. I can't believe we haven't done a Fast Talk episode on the subject of bike fit ever, Trevor. Yeah, that surprised me. Last night, getting ready for this, I went back through all my Vela News articles. I went through all our episodes of Fast Talk define what we had said about bike fit in the past. And I was like, all right, we, we don't have one. Yeah. It's amazing. We've never done it. We, we have touched upon it here and there, but today we're really going to dive into this subject. Uh, it's so important. We've got, I'm going to say it, we've got three of the great minds in cycling gathered in the studio with us today. Dr. Andy Pruitt is the director of sports medicine here at Fast Talk and one of the pioneers of the study of cycling biomechanics. 
He's currently building out a number of workshops and articles on our website about the topic of bike fit. So check those out as well. Thanks, Chris. It's always great to be here. Our next guest has appeared on Fast Talk many times before, and he also continues to host his own podcast, Cycling in Alignment. Of course, I speak of Colby Pierce. Hi, Chris. Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome, Colby. And we have the co-founder of Retool, a technology I'm sure most people out there know, Todd Carver. Welcome. Hi, Chris. So, bike fit. It's a big subject. One of the things that's really interesting about bike fit is there's multiple ways to do things. There's philosophy. Philosophy informs methodology. Methodology in turn in, informs some philosophy. I, I want to maybe start the conversation with uh, that question. What is your philosophy? And Dr. Pruitt, I'll start with you. You've been doing this since the late 70s, I guess you would say. So Probably longer than most of your listeners are old. <laughs> I was born in the late 70s, so <laughs> you've been doing this a, a while. Tell and, us about your philosophy. Well, I see in the outline you said, could I explain my philosophy in one line? Yeah, try. <laughs> so, so, so I will, but then I won't stop. My one-liner, I think it's well-known in the industry, is that I think the bike needs to look like the rider. But you got to give that a little deeper thought. And I think that if I think about my first early bike fits, they were done in the athletic training room at the University of Colorado. So my mindset at the time was solving injury problems, right? So if I watched a football game and I saw the guy get hit, I knew what ligament he tore before he hit the ground and I was on my way to him. So that's really how I studied sport. So when sore knees, um, et cetera, started to show up in my training room, I attacked that sore knee in the same way. I tried to watch them ride and figure out how they got hit, right? What caused that knee to hurt? Was it the bike's fault or was it their fault? So to make the bike look like the person, you really have to think about the brain, central nervous system really coordinates this whole thing. It's, just, it's the respiratory system, it's the cardio, cardio uh, respiratory system and the neuromuscular systems that all are coordinated, right? So bike fit really is a place where your respiratory system can work efficiently and your neuromuscular system can work without compromise. And compromise usually leads to either malperformance or injury. So that's how the bike ends up looking like the rider. That was one long sentence. Very good. <laughs> I didn't hear any punctuation in that sentence, so we'll call Period. it. Period. We'll, we'll, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Colby, tell us about your bike fit philosophy. For me, bike fit is about it's about balancing a couple of different tensions. We'll say. On the one side of the spectrum, we have the physiology of the rider, how they present to you at that moment. Do they have an injury history? Do they have um, postural tendencies, do they have habits on the bike? How is their posture on the bike? How is their posture off the bike? What are their muscle tension relationships? What is their mobility? What is their strength? Have they been training in other mobilities? What, what is their sports history? Do they come from Greco-Roman wrestling or American football? Pretty unusual. Most of the time cyclists didn't go down that pathway first or tried it very early and discovered they weren't in that channel. <laughs> Ended up in cycling instead. So you have to consider all that. And then on the other side of the equation, we have what are the demands of their event? Are they training for a grand fondo? Are they just trying to be more fit? 
Are they training to win the Colorado, Colorado State Time Trial Championships? All very different demands. So you have to kind of put those two in a pile, and a lot of times they can be sort of opposed to each other, diametrically opposed. So you have to evaluate where is the rider now and where are they trying to go. And then the bike is kind of in the middle. And so we have to blend those things together and come up with an outcome. And for me, I'll say that a big part of fitting that I think I'll say I don't see in a lot of other fitting methodologies, but I use that sentence very cautiously because bike fitting, I actually learned this from Todd, like it's easy to sit around at a coffee table or, or having a beer after work on a Friday and be like, yeah, I fixed this other guy's fit, fixing other people's fits, right? Fitting is a weird world because it's sort of positively self-reinforcing in the sense that I have lots of clients who come to me and they're like, man, you fixed this. And I went to eight other fitters and they couldn't do it. And then I saw you and it was amazing. So I get this happy little positive, you know, spin up of how great I am. But most of the time, most people are not very confrontational and they don't prefer to come and slaughter you. Every <laughs> once in a while you get someone who does that. But I know there are fitters, there are riders out there who I've worked with who my, my methods weren't successful. Mm -hmm. And I don't hear about that most of the time. I might hear about it roundabout. It comes around the, the rumor, mill, rumor mill or whatever, but you don't get a lot of that. So what's my point? I'm, like it's easy to be on this high horse and say I fixed someone else's fit, but I think that's a very um, precarious place to perch yourself. And we always have to respect other people in the profession and try to try to understand that we're all doing the best we can to solve what is really ultimately the most complex thing you can possibly imagine. It's the human body. It's this infinite fractal of complexity. And just the deeper you go, the, the more you find, the more layers you find. I think I imagine that other fitters at times don't necessarily consider the context of education in fitting. I think that's becoming more popular now. But a, a, I'll say a, an old school fit or maybe a a less experienced fitter might just sort of see a client, do some assessments, make some changes on the bike, and then send them out the door. But for me, that doesn't equate to a service that's going to make sense because if I change your contact points, if I change the distance from your saddle to your bars, your saddle to your pedals, or all the other minutiae we can do, but then I don't educate you about how to make power in that position or how to sit with proper posture in that position, then you're going to go out and do the same thing you did for the previous 30,000 pedal strokes or 1 million pedal strokes or however long you've been riding your bike in that position and nothing's going to make any sense and you're not going to understand it. So what I'm saying is education is a big part of my fitting process and that's why my fits can take quite a while. Mm -hmm. Also, as you may have noticed, I you, you, can you can take quite a while to make a point. Sometimes. All right. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a long format yeah. kind of person. Well, we're, yeah. we're going to get into a lot more of this stuff too. So let's, let's turn our attention to Todd. I think in a nutshell, it's less about me and more about the rider. So I think the most important part of the fit is the interview and really figuring out why someone's in there. Because I think all too often you can get caught in your own world of how you want someone to ride a bike, how you ride a bike, what your preconceived notions are of what's good, what's bad. But the riders coming in your door have totally different goals. They want to solve usually one or two problems. So really doing a good interview, sticking to the goals that the rider has in the session and addressing those. Um, and if there's something beyond that to improve, um, let's make an attempt. But at the other hand, don't force my thoughts of how I want to ride on other riders. Just try to help them. Mm -hmm. Very good. You know, I, and if I can tidy this up being the old guy, 
I think we've all three said the same thing in different ways. Yeah, I would agree. It's really about the writer and making them functional at a high level. Yeah. And also to add on, it's like it's very rarely a one and done thing for fit. And the best, Colby, Andy, I know you know this too. It's like the best ones are the ones that either live in your town or are there for a little while. You can do an initial evaluation, do a quick data capture or whatever you want. Um, make some changes and get them out on the road or trail and then get some feedback and have a follow-up a week or two later. And that's where if you do two or three sessions with someone, um, I think you arrive at a better outcome. That's such a good point. And like, you know them better too at the yeah, end. Right? You know them better. But also I'll say I think there's also maybe a perception between some of the consumers from what I've – the interviews I've done and the discussions I've had that – Bike fit is sort of a thing that's like, this is my saddle height. And and they tend to think that every dimension is sort of fixed. Like mm-hmm. once I get my archetypal perfect fit that gets me every watt, then I lock that in stone and every single bike I build from now for the next 50 years will have that same fit. But of course, that's not the way it works for multiple reasons. One is the human body is always adapting and evolving to its environment. It's always searching for homeostasis. But one winter, you lift a lot more and you do a ton of heavy compressive lifts like squats and deadlifts. And the next year, you decide weight training is stupid and you just ride your bike more. And then the next year, you decide cross-country skiing is the new sliced bread and you do that. So your body always changes based on these and that impacts your your physiology and how you present on the bike. But then also, there are some aspects of bike fit that are very, I would say, pretty firm recommendations from my perspective. There are other aspects that are very much trial and error, wait and see, fluid. You have to say, okay, I'm going to lower your bars on your mountain bike and I want you to go on a trail section and try it, but here's what you have to pay attention to. And then we've got these tidy five millimeter spacers. You can go trail side and do a 10 minute section of trail with a little descent. Then you can lower it five mils and try it again and lower it five mils and try it again. And you can come back and give me feedback. And then two days later, we can have a discussion about it and say, what did you observe? Did you find a breaking point where it was like better, better, worse, worse, worse? Did you fall off a cliff? Not literally. <laughs> In terms of sensation, hopefully not. <laughs> so so there are aspects of bike fit that require trial and error. Another perfect example of that is saddles. Yeah. You put someone on eight saddles in a session. They pick what they think is the best one. Then you send them out the door and go, go ride this for three days. Come back and tell me. Here's what I want you to observe about saddle nose angle. If it does this, we need to go a little more nose down. If it does that, we need to go a little more nose up. If you feel this, we might need to go one size narrower or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then then they go ride for three days and you come back. So, I mean, you bring up a point that's like I have people fly in to see me for fits and I yeah, often I encourage them to come. Yeah, I, I encourage them to stay for a couple of days if they can and go ride over the weekend and then come back on a Tuesday and check in. And That's the best case scenario. It's not always possible, obviously. But I always had my out-of-town patients be seen on Friday. That way yep. they could spend the weekend in Boulder and I'd see them back on do the follow-up on Monday and they get yep. ridden all weekend. But I want to touch on a couple of things that Colby said that are they're really connected. One is don't throw the previous bike fitter under the bus. And I'll tell you why in a second. But the real reason is, is that bike fit is like an x-ray. It's one photograph of that individual and their bike at that moment and how they evaluate it at that moment. And it could be different tomorrow, right? How they slept, the bed they chose, who they slept with, odd bed, blah, 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 you know. So the, not throwing the previous fitter under the bus because you're seeing a different person. That it might have been, quote, unquote, right when yeah, they saw Yeah, of course. It. Right. And you don't know what the person was thinking. You don't know the input that the rider gave you at that, gave that other person at that time. So I have a great example. I had a patient that I had seen 10, 12, maybe even 15 years ago. 
and fit him. And then a big time, chunk of time passed and he went through, he had AIDS, he had leukemia, he had significant weight loss. He was trying to get back on his bike and he, he appeared in my office and we'd changed computer, computer systems. And I'm thinking, this guy really looks kind of familiar, but I had no previous record of it. And I'm, I'm going through his current fit, going through his exam. I think, God, who fit this bozo? <laughs> you know, it was me. So, like I said, don't throw the previous fetter under the bus because you might get hurt. Yeah. Um, it was me. And he was such a different person at that right. time. So I think we're all, yeah. Well, I remember having an athlete call me quite annoyed and upset because I had told him to go to CU Sports five years previously to get a bike fit. And so he was calling me because he got a new fit and they're like, well, this is all wrong for you and change it. And he's like, you told me to go to CU sports. It was all wrong. And like, it's been five years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're a different human. Of course, yeah. it's, of course it's not right well, now. They, they think they paid a couple hundred bucks and so therefore it must be the gospel. You know, it's, it's, it's not. So I have a question for all of you. I had my first bike fit in the 90s. I remember this. I was living in Boston there was a big bike shop there and people were like, oh, you have to go get fit. Like I'd never even heard of being fit on your bike prior to this. Mm -hmm. So I went to this bike fitter. It was actually pretty expensive. And basically he had a plumb line. He had his own philosophies on how bike fit worked. He had not been trained and this is not a, a dig on him. There was no training back then. So my question for you, because I have certainly experienced completely different bike fits since then. What has changed? What has happened with the science of bike fit since those early days? Well, there, I'll start because I was the early days. I mean, when I started, there were less than five true bike fitters in in America. And most of them were European-based and using numerical formulas, which we've now basically thrown out the window. We uh, made our own. And made our own. No, <laughs> made our own formulas. Well, at least our own formulas are based on... Um, some science and some and some fairly deep databases, but we were really flying by the seat of our pants. You know, um, the Italian um, cycling bible, published by the um, their federation at the time, I think it's published in 1976. Uh, basically, said here's how here's how you should ride a bike, and it was a description of how their best Italian racers sat on a bicycle, long, low, the whole the whole thing. Uh, and then there was a two other chapters about all the difficult things about bike fit, back pain, saddle pain, <laughs> knee pain with absolute zero solutions. But here's, here's all the caca that's going to happen to you. Caused by caused by the, putting you in the position like these pros. And that was, that was the Bible that everybody used. So that's, we started from there. I, I have my beat up copy and I think it's, it's gone through, I mean, I've got an undergraduate degree in anatomy, a master's degree in sports medicine, a doctor degree in public health uh, education I think that's what's happened. I mean, I think Colby's well-educated. Obviously, Todd's well-educated. I think that's the, the true high-end bike fitters in the world now have a solid understanding, if not a formal education, um, they have a solid understanding of how the human body works toward and on the bike. That's what's changed. It, Todd, maybe you, since technology, since technology is now a big part of bike fit, and it wasn't when Trevor was sitting there with a guy with a piece of string and a plumb, you know, a plumb line. No, no offense, no, you know. His technology. Uh, so I've done the the 3D bike cameras with you. His technology was he would just walk around me, crouch down, 
sit there stroking his chin for a couple minutes and then just kind of go, aha, and then walk over and yeah. make a change. That, that was his version of the 3D camera. That sounds yeah. kind of like my method actually today. <laughs> I think though it's kind of what's changed is like um, a deeper understanding or probably a better understanding of what affects your performance. So your power and your efficiency and your aerodynamics. When back in the day, everyone thought if you want to go faster on a bike, you put longer cranks on your bike. Oh, yeah. Right. Yes. Things like that, right? Where with the advent of technology and being able to record this stuff and more people doing it, we kind of broke down some of those myths. And now we're actually putting people on shorter cranks on their time trial bikes rather than longer ones. Or on all their bikes. On all their bikes. Yeah. Time trial bikes. So I, I think it's, it's stuff like that that's changed. We just understand yeah. performance a little bit more now. Mm. Um, and we all learn from each other and there's a lot of data out there to reference and it breaks some of the old myths. Some of the old equipment, Trevor, was so hard to adjust. Mm -hmm. Think about yeah. the old quill stems. You know, the, all you could do is go up and down. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. But what about today's modern stems? I was going to say. Integrated <laughs> hydraulic cables. Oh, whoa, whoa. That, the, <laughs> the integrated bar stem. Right. Yikes. Yikes. Bike fit nightmare. Yeah, my brother bought a bike where to raise or lower <laughs> the handlebars, he had to take it to the bike shop. Couldn't do it himself. That's most modern bikes now, to be honest. Truly. It's a couple hours to move so your bars. So we've gone miles. through this big wave. Mm -hmm. Parts, such as crank arms, should be part of a bike fit process, right? I mean, they are mm -hmm. a fitting tool. They're not a performance tool. Colby, you said something after, um, you know, Andy had said what he was saying there. And you were like, well, that's kind of how I do it. That just, <laughs> Or maybe it was what Trevor was yeah, saying. Yeah. A friend of ours, actually, once described your fit process as um, taking one of those sticks that bends based on what the weather's about to do. You know, they're, <laughs> a like, divining rod? <laughs> basically, yeah. He said that he, yeah. Colby basically just takes the stick and he, he goes around your aura and it bends <laughs> in different ways and that's how he does his fit. So I want you to, obvi obviously that's not what you do. but No, that's there, it. That's, that's, that's what you do. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so why didn't you say that was your fit philosophy? That's didn't much I? shorter. <laughs> Because <laughs> I talk too much. Um, but no, let's take it yeah. a little further. Yeah, yeah. How much um, are you using technology? How much are you using experience in your mm. eyeball? Here? Right. Yeah, I would say I'm heavily reliant on eyeball. And there are a few reasons for that. Um, but I got to rewind for a second. Todd, what you said about myth, I think that's super important. I, how I described it, I actually did a podcast on this recently. I think I titled it something that'll probably upset some people. Something like 99 <laughs> Italian myths about bike fitting that need to be assassinated was my oh title oh that aggressive. <laughs> but it's true. We have all, I mean, how many of them can we think of? Like there's the, use your, the length of your forearm to go from the tip of the saddle to the stem. There's this fist from the saddle bar drop. There's the like point the rear bar at the rear brake, which when brakes A used to be on, you know, high in the frame and B like frames were made with level top tubes. There's like, 85 more of them. And and there's like three or four that are actually like, yeah, most of the time this works out. Like the handlebar front hub thing. It's amazing. That one actually that, works, yeah. right? But 99 of them need to be assassinated, as I said. So that's a good point. And also, I'm just going to address this to save you guys like 18 paragraphs of forum questions. Here's the bottom line cliff notes on crank length. The old myth, one of them is longer cranks equal more power because you have more more torque. That's a freshman, that's like a third grade way to look at what's a PhD level problem. You can skip all the steps in between and just know this, 99.8% of all riders need shorter cranks. 
the two point zero point two percent, I would say, tell me if you guys disagree with this or agree with this, the 0.2 who are justified in possibly pushing the envelope on crank length are if you get paid to ride your bike and you're trying to win the Vuelta. Because at that moment, the Vuelta every year has half a dozen finishes that are like a 25% gradient. And at that moment, every single rider will go faster when they're out of gears, going at maximum pace on a really steep climb. And, and they're, the demands of their event are heavily, heavily torque dependent. Right then, the longer crank you have, the faster you'll go. But you have to drag that long crank length around for all the other 18 stages before you got to that point and all your training rides. And for 99.8% of all riders, that just causes a truckload of problems. Uh, the caveat is the tall guy. Yes. The, the Leonard Zins. The Leonard Zins. Yeah. 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 Good the point. 200, yep. 200 millimeter crank. I mean, right. Yep. Those guys are out there for sure. They can, they can yeah. make that work and that could yeah. be a good advantage yeah. for them. Yeah. But, but, if, but if you go off of the data in that, that your optimal crank length is 20% of your leg length, everyone's on long, too long. Way cranks. too long cranks, especially That's like right. the five foot five Colombians. Yeah. They're on they're way, in, yeah, way too long. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So that's not the right way to look at the problem. It's all about pelvic stability and SI joint. Of course. That's what I said. Shearing. Crank arm length is a right. fit tool, not a yes. tool. Yeah, well, well said. So, so why anyway. are people on too long a crank? Why Tradition. are we discovering shorter? Because we haven't assassinated I'm the I'm actually asking the physiological question of why should a lot of people be going shorter? What is the issue with a longer crank? Increased uh, patellar shear absolutely. is one, right? More acute, hip, hip, more acute hip angle at the top of the stroke, which a lot of riders struggle with, right? It's just the same thing as going in the gym and squatting past yep. the point of the wink or when the sacrum decouples from the lumbar spine. So you ride around in that position all the time and you're pretty much guaranteed to have strain on the ligaments of the posterior spine and strain on the lower lumbar musculature. It, it's, it's a far slower cadence with a longer crank arm, which again leads yeah. to the patella shear. But so with a bigger circumference, yep. so increased neurological demand. People don't understand when you go, when you increase your crank length, you're increasing the radius of a circle. So sure. if you keep your cadence the same, you have to produce the same amount of force over a bigger path, but with increased foot yep. speed. So every time you increase your crank length, you're really like, it's like a triple down on demands for the athlete. So it adds up unbelievably fast. That's why when you even go five mils, it's like the difference is actually quite large. Well, yeah, you got to measure the top and the bottom. So it's it, double. Right. That's the question I was right. going to ask. How <clears throat> you, you say 99.8% are riding too long of cranks. Yeah. How how much is too long? Like if they dropped from 172.5 to 170, would that mm. not I mean, not it's enough. case by case basis. But sure. You know, when you look at someone who comes in and, and you're watching them from the posterior view, meaning hashtag I film butts for a living, right? That's bike, bike fitting talk. Because no one can see their own butt when they ride a bike. Yeah. So you show them a video of their hips and they're like, huh, who's that? Like, you know, do, the, do these shorts make my butt look big? Like, but we're looking at the stability of the SI joints and whether or not one or both hips is has excessive motion in any given plane, right? Transverse, sagittal, etc. So we're watching this, and when someone's got this huge lever at the bottom of the of the chain, right at the distal end or the feet, they've got these 180s or 175s or whatever they're pushing. The chance of you keeping a stable pelvis are like zero, or they go down. So the question becomes. What is the person's injury history? Do they have chronic low back pain? You know, do they love to climb and do five hour rides with tons of steep climbs like we have here, like super flag stuff, half hour climb, you know, average, whatever it is, 8%. If that's their style and that's their demand, but they've got chronic low back pain or chronic knee pain and everything else is tidy, right? Cleats are in the right place, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Then you look at it and you go, well, your crank arms are causing this struggle for you to generate the leverage you want to generate at a high torque situation. So you have to make a judgment call. And unfortunately, just like you pointed out, Andy, like 
it should be a fitting tool, but it's not, especially in modern bikes, because the industry is just destroyed with a nuclear bomb, any capacity for like easy equipment change. It used to be like, was it NJS, four square taper or campy? That was it. You know, those were your two crank arm options. Now there's like 8 billion bottom bracket standards. And so we can't just say, go try these 165s for a week. Not very easily, not without a ton of time and expense and a visit mm-hmm. to the mechanic. Yep. So you have to use your fitter crystal ball and go, okay, like, and look at the science and say, you're on 175s. I'm quite certain you're going to feel good on 170s and then inevitably get the email. Well, I can't get 170s, but I can get 165s. Should I go to those? <laughs> and you're like, uh, and I just have to be honest. It's like, look, everything I see says that there, there's a really good chance you're going to be happy on 165s, assuming you put your saddle in the right place once you get those on. Most of the time, I think people, there's two riders that don't do well when they go shorter. One is that old school person who just, you know, yeah, loves to cruise along at 72 RPM and really muscle the gear and their hips might be annihilated and they might have all these, all this Trevor core challenges his hand. and whatever. For those Trevor listening is... out there, Trevor raised his hand. <laughs> well, they I'm working might... on getting up to 72 RPM. You're working <laughs> on it. Yes. They might have trouble with it. But you guys example. asked for a number. And yeah. by my calculations, yeah. the yeah. average rider on each size bike is over cranked by about two to five millimeters. Okay. Yeah. So the industry standard, except on really small bikes, yeah. they come with 172.5. Yeah, is right. that too big? But above, but no, above, above 56, they might come with a 175. For a, for a rider riding a 54, the average rider riding a 54, that's too big. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a really good example of where the fit bike with an adjustable crank arm length comes into play. Yeah. Instead of fitting them on uh, their bike, Mm -hmm. we put them on a fit bike, which has adjustable crank arm length. That's a really Mm -hmm. good place for that tool. Um, Todd and I are spoiled from protein camps because we've got a mechanic standing there with a multitude of crank arms ready to go, right? Mm -hmm. Ah, I think these are strong. It's like the NASCAR pit and boom, he's got shorter cranks. We're very spoiled in that situation. In Colby's situation and Todd's in the clinic, thank God I'm retired. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to deal with that problem anymore. <laughs> but that, to me, that's a really good place for the fit bike uh, if you're not in the pro tour situation where you got a mechanic standing there with a multitude of crank arm links. And th- you also asked, um, what is the downside of too long of a crank? I think a lot of people think it's efficiency loss, but according to the data, it's power loss. So you will lose the ability to generate peak power, which every rider does. You don't have to be a sprinter. You're coming out of a corner. Anytime you're accelerating, you're you're better off with the right size crank rather than one that's too long. Yep. So why isn't the uh, – Todd, yep. you work for a bike company. I do. But you do something <laughs> about this. <laughs> I mean, don't, don't the engineers come to you? I, I know. Sure, I know the sure. answer to this First question. First of all, yep. no one can get crank arms right now anyway. Let's just say <laughs> that. But you can't get anything right, right but, now. But, but yeah. Todd does have – the ear of the of the product managers at a big at a big company. So, uh, what's it take to get them to listen? Um, what's more it? data, yeah. more data. <laughs> they do want data because they're smart people, and that's 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 it. Like they don't just want my opinion; they want support for that. So, uh, we do have that data now, and we are starting to make changes. Hi, I'm Dr. Steven Seiler. I gotta tell you, it's a thrill for me to have the opportunity to go in and see a whole collection of my lectures and webinars all in one place, free of charge for the members of Fast Talk and the broader sports science world. 
And not only me, but other sports scientists have collected their work and Fast Talk Laboratories is presenting it for all of you to use and learn from every day. Just so people know, Todd is the head of human performance for specialized bicycles and the S racing, their pro tour arm. So he's, he, he works with the best of the best. I worked with Colby for, yeah. for fitting a, on did. the Garmin team. On the Garmin team. That was cool. Yeah. I learned That's a right. lot there. We did many fit camps together yeah. and yeah. learned from each other. And Yeah, I remember. So. Okay, I got to tell the story. You guys yeah. ready for story time? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Okay. So I, I won't name the rider, but famous rider on the Garmin team who had won lots of really big, important races. And we're doing the fits. We're standing there. And to be fair, like Retail was a sponsor of the team that year, if I remember correctly. So you were there with Ivan. Yep. And um, Ivan O'Gorman. Yes. Thank you. Yes. And I was there in this area. Yes. I was there as a technical part of the sports science team, but also it's just like any world tour team, except, you know, Sky, Ineos, like pretty much any other team, people wear multiple hats. So they were like, Hey, you're not out on the, in the car, like following riders around today, come to the bike fit. Okay, cool. So we're standing there and this rider gets on the trainer and I'm watching him pedal. I'm looking at him for a second. I'm kind of second guessing myself. And then I realized my jaw was on the floor. And I went to Todd. I was like, am I mistaken? Or is his saddle like not even in the right zip code? It was like 35 mils too high was my rough like thumb guess. I mean, and this is a person who's, like I said, paid to ride his bike, ridden his bike a lot, won some really important bike races that you have definitely heard of. And, I'm like, and Todd's like, yeah, man. I've been trying to get him to lower saddle for like four seasons. I think I've heard this story before. I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah. And it just goes to show you like this This is one of the Italian myths about bike fitting or I'll say one of the more um, common myths is people watch bike races on TV. They watch what the pros are doing, right? And they go, but this person rides like this. So therefore, it's what I should aspire to. And I'll just dispel, do my best to dispel this at the moment. I'd love to hear you guys' commentary on this, but – Look, if you're watching bike racing, just because someone's winning a bike race at the world level does not mean that their position is optimized or that their biomechanical function is optimized or that they are any sort of example of what you ought to strive to ride like or be like. Their posture, the way they make power, you got to understand like two things, two two ways to break down that misconception. One is these people are either the super freaks of all humans and you could put them on a tricycle (laughs) And they'll still win races at a really, really high level. They're just that much of an exception. And you can't believe how much, how much of a high level compensator some of these athletes are. And then the other side of it is these athletes just have enormous aerobic engines and capacity to produce um, power aerobically, but everything else is a complete junk show. And they're held together literally by super glue and duct tape. And they're barely hanging on. And every day they're in the massage room for an hour and then they're seeing their team physio or their Cairo and they're doing foam rolling and upside down, you know, yoga in their room or whatever they're doing to try to barely keep it together. And then they still occasionally win a bike race because they're incredibly determined and their body's paying a massive price for that. But you shouldn't infer just because they're performing at that level that they're uh, any kind of example or model to strive for. I, I think that just to chime in, I think that that's true not just for their bike fit, but for their training too. Yeah. And we talk about that yeah. on the program all the time. I love the, the the client that comes in with a picture from the magazine and the guy is in a, in a switchback, right? Putting out 500 watts. And he says, 
this, I want to look like this. <laughs> I want to look like a pro rider. Yeah. I mean, I could, I, I could tell you dozens of stories about, I want to look like this or I look, look like that train for 30 hours a week for a couple of years and then come back and be a genetic freak. Yeah. Like Colby says, I mean, these guys are from another planet. When I first went to um, work with Bjarne Reese, the very first time that somebody was actually a European team was embracing having some fit advice. You'd ask the rider, so what size bike do you ride? No clue. Yep. No clue. Here's your bike. Go, Go ride, ride it. it. And they rode it, right? I mean, that's right. I mean, it was it was an endless story. They had no idea what size mm. bike they rode. Todd, you were going to make a point, I think, to yeah, follow I'll, up on what Colby was saying. I was going to going to add on to Colby. So I remember that session like it was yesterday yeah. in that particular rider. And it was funny because he'd always come into the fit stand, even though it's like he was going to do something different. But what he liked was he would get the saddle height we would set and then raise it. I think he said 10 millimeters, but who knows? So basically he used retool as a standard and then just adjusted more for, is better for himself. I right? guess. Or, but every yeah, year he'd yeah. come in and do that. Interesting. And your jaw was on the floor because, yeah, it's like you had watched the rider ride, but never, I think, in the fit stand not, in that detail. Not like that. And it was just like, yeah. holy cow. And the pros, I mean, fit is a suggestion for them and they take it seriously. But at the end of the day, if they've adapted to a different um, way to ride a bike than we think they should, they're going to go ahead and make the change anyway. That's a good insight. I mean, you show up to a camp as a fitter, you've got about 30 riders to work with plus or minus, right? About, you got to look at this mathematically. Like, I think it's easy for people to assume that when you, if you're, you know, if the team's sponsored by Retool, Todd's going to go and tell them all, like, this is your position in their dial. That's not the way it works at all. Most of these guys have already been riding their bikes for 10 years, maybe five years if they're a young pro. And they've already had someone they've been working with, a mentor. You know, you've got a rider from Portugal who has his bike fit guru. You've got a rider from Australia who has his or her bike fit guru. So they come to camp. You meet, they meet you at dinner. The next morning, 10 a.m., their bike is there. You're looking at them. And they maybe they feel a sense of like a critical eye, like – they want to defend what their relationship they've had. They've been riding for five years successfully. They don't want to mess with their stuff. But now the director told them you have to show up for a bike fit. So here why, you are. Why the, should they tr trust Todd yeah, Carver? Exactly. They just Todd met you Carver at dinner is. last. They don't yep. know you from yep. whoever, you know, yep. Tom, so, Dick, or Harry. So it's like, so it's this relationship. So you have to go. And this is also something I, also something I learned from you, Todd, is like, it's about developing a relationship with a rider and assuring them that you don't have an agenda. Right. To change their stuff and be like, this is my way. You have to do yeah. it this way or you're a failure or you're not going to be a good bike rider. Or you're not going to make enough power. I mean, that's that's not yeah. what any of us think anyway, I, I would gather. But also, it's not going to be constructive to helping the rider. Ultimately, you're just there to help the rider. So you're hey, there man. to help them. And like you said, goals. Like, like be invisible in the interview. Yeah. Right? That's something I learned from another mentor. Like when you're listening to the rider, like be mm -hmm. present, really listen to them. Don't try to have your agenda about how they should look on the bike or yep. what their stem drop should be or yep. whatever. Like, like you have really have to listen to their problems and say, what does this person need? How can I help them? That's it's ultimately just about helping people. Really. We're just glorified waiters. This, That's right. And the success of a fit is trying to find that one thing that can help them and will hit home with them. Yeah. And if you can make one little tweak, one little change to help them, you that, may have that, three on your win. list. Yeah, right. You pick, you pick one. Pick yeah. You win that battle, and next yep. year you get to win the next two. Yeah. I mean, it, that's, yeah. yeah. Pro rider or whether it's Joe Blow off the street. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Thing. It's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, good point. But this is an important lesson. I think one of our first take-homes of this episode, which is 
you know, do your research, find a good fitter. But if you are seeing a fitter who has a reputation, who's well-trained, that you think is a good fitter, trust them. Mm-hmm. Remember the fact that our bodies don't like change, even change for the better. <laughs> you're going to have a negative reaction to it. So you're not going to generally leave a bike fit, get on the bike and go, oh my God, that feels amazing. You're going to get on the bike and go, that mm-hmm. feels weird. That depends on Depends. Yeah. Depends on the situation. You Sometimes can. you have people are sitting on a hatchet and they don't know it. And you yeah. put them on any different cells and they go, their head explodes. Yeah. yeah. And yes. they're literally yeah. like, if you make I had no idea. Pain go away. It's, it's but an that, aha that does happen. But the, the, the point that I'm making is yeah. trust the fitter. Yes. Even if it doesn't feel great initially, give it time. Ride on it, learn it, see how it works for you. Don't go, don't go and pay for that $300 bike fit and then go, yeah, I didn't think they get it right and jack your saddle up or do something else. Mm. Ride Sometimes it. medicine tastes bad. Yeah. <laughs> I want to take us a step back. I have a, another broad question for the three of you and let's get the, the broad answer so as concise as possible. But the simplest question of this whole episode, what is a bike fit? What is involved in a bike fit? Is it just change a saddle, change the handlebars and out the door, or is there more to it than that? Well, if you go back to all of our philosophies, it's a whole lot more than that. It's a global view. It's the, um, I said in one of our videos recently that if you go, if you're interviewing potential bike fitters and they don't do a thorough interview and pre-fit evaluation, don't go there, period. Don't go there. Save your money until you find a guy who has a reputation for listening, for a thorough physical examination, then you proceed to the fit. And you may even get off the bike and, and continue that evaluation once they've seen you ride. So it's 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 a it's a very global thing. It's not a it's not just a satellite or a or a cleat wedge or a uh, right. Yeah, you're there to be their positioning coach. They've hired you to be their positioning coach. And yeah, sometimes it's like fastball right across the center of the plate and you fix someone right away and they're just like, that was amazing. All my problems went away. That doesn't happen very often, uh, but it does. And other times it's very subtle. So you turn into a positional coach and they're contacting you if they yeah. want to get new shoes. And they're like, hey, you know my biomechanics. Like, what yeah. shoes are good for me? You know, so you become this kind of a resource for them. And also, I feel like a big part of fit is inspiration. Like you can really inspire people to to do more during a bike fit. And I learned this from one of the PTs at BCSM when I used to work for Andy. He would on the way out the door, he would always say, "I expect big things out of you now," like Jeff Guerra. And uh, I'm like, "That's awesome!" And you know, he would get people to like buy in, and they would go out and improve just because he inspired them. So as a bike fitter, you're in a perfect position to do that. So um, I think that's a big, powerful part of uh, being a fitter and as a rider, getting a fit. It's getting the inspiration. Be- before you – I want to plug the the video you were mentioning, Andy, that, all about the cockpit and its importance in bike fit. And that's where you go into some more detail about the physical examination that you would do before uh, a bike fit. So check that out on our website. Yeah, mainly that was the the pieces, small pieces of a physical exam that uh, that had a direct correlation to drop and reach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, continuing with the you know what's involved in a bike fit, and just getting back to the very basics of a bike fit, a lot of good fits are expensive. It can be two fifty, three hundred, even more more than that. So a, a pro will might get fit a couple times in a year. Most people might get fit every couple years. What 
is the right timing. Now, I'm going to give you my bias. I see athletes that take their off season, don't touch their bike for a month, and then first week back on the bike, go and get fit, which to me is the wrong timing to do it. So if somebody says, I'm going to get fit this year, but I'm only going to get one fit, when is the best time to go in? I would say my rule is anytime, if you, if you, well, you should always get fit if you've never been fit. But then when do you get fit again? I say it's anytime your bike or your body changes significantly. So if you get a new saddle, you need to get, it might not be a full fit, but get into the fitter and get that thing set. Mm. Um, new cleats, new pedals. New cleats, new pedals. You crash, you get hurt, you get hit stiff. by car. Yeah. So stuff like that. Anytime your body or your bike changes, you should get refit. I use myself. So as a young 30-something-year-old racer at a high level, I had a, a, a criterion position. My job was to get the guy through the crowd and get him to the front in the last two laps. That was my job. So I rode really narrow bars and a really low front end and all and a teeny little bike and you know to fit through that little hole. Um, so then I you know, move on to my next part of my career, which is, you know, clinical medicine. And, and I've got, you know, 20 years of rolling around on a rolling stool and my body changed. Right. So my stem kept getting higher and higher and higher. Ben Serrata builds me this bike with this giant head tube extension on it. And, you know, and then I retire. My goal is to get really fit again. My position today is back to my 30 year old position. I think bodies go through these career and lifestyle changes so, yes, there's injuries, there's, but there's just life that gets in the way of a good position sometimes, too. So, um, I mean, I wish people would just come in on an annual basis at a minimum. I wish we could, I wish it was a subscription and you got, you know, one, one bike well, fit a year or something. That's part of what Todd was saying. Like, hopefully when you have that initial fit and you learn the person and you do the interview and you're taking good notes, then you develop that relationship. And then six months later, they're like, hey, man, I crashed and ruined my shoes. And those ones didn't work that great anyway. What shoes do you recommend? And you become a resource. And that is kind of your subscription in a sense. Like, hey, you know. Yeah, I'd never heard the term positioning coach before, but that is interesting. Mm -hmm. It's a dialogue that continues. It's Mm -hmm. not just a... It's a relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's... And as a fitter, you need to charge. I I don't want to get into that, but it's like you, you should charge enough to be able to do that. Yes. Right, because you don't want to nickel and dime people every time. But if you if you charge enough up front, then you can be a resource for them for the rest of the year. Ongoing. Yep. Yeah, I would add to what you guys said about timing. You know, I get this question a lot. Um, in particular, you know, you always get the like July email. Yeah. Like, hey man, my whatever, my knee, my back is really bothering me, um, and so I kind of want to have a fit. Um, but also I'm racing, you know, next weekend and then the subsequent six weekends after that. And then my peak event is in seven weeks. So what do I do? Yeah. And that's a great <laughs> conundrum. Yeah. And there's a couple of points to make. One is that first of all, you know, like you said, Todd, it's, it's very unusual. Occasionally you get the home run across the plate where someone comes in. Like I had one woman whose back was driving her nuts and she couldn't figure it out. turns out it's the simplest thing on the planet. Like I did 20 or 30 minutes worth of work with her. I'd already done an evaluation. So I kind of checked on some things, looked at that measured saddle height, and then looked at her cleats. And one of her cleats had just twisted on the shoe by like 30 degrees. I mean, it was way off. I was like, okay, here's your problem. And I fixed her cleat and she was like, it's a miracle. So, okay. You get about one of those every four years maybe, but most of the time when we're talking about a knee injury or back injury, like how long have you been dealing with that injury? How long has the cultivation of events led to that injury? Probably longer than you think. Mm -hmm. And so 
changing your saddle height or changing your adding a footbed or a wedge probably won't help. In some cases it can, but most of the time it won't. But then also you're talking about a fit mid-season. If somebody comes in and I think their position's way off, maybe they haven't had a fit for a while, or maybe they're just one of those mechanical train wrecks and their saddle dropped 20 mils and they didn't know it, or who knows what the circumstances are. And you're going, okay, you're under high load right now. A lot of volume, a lot of intensity. You've got important race goals coming up. And I think we need significant changes to your position. There's two ways to do it. One is go cold turkey and, you know, make a prayer that things won't explode. Because as you said, Trevor, like sometimes even when you make a position that optimizes someone, a change that optimizes their position, there are consequences for that. Uh, Efficiency and power production short term are one of them. But also you can even injure someone. If their saddle's Mm, 20 mils too high and you lower it, even though it is a far better height for them to not have too much excessive knee extension at the bottom of the stroke, then they can have, especially if they go hammering right away, they can end up with anterior knee pain like really quickly, right? Mm -hmm. So the second way to do it would be say, okay, our goal is to lower your saddle 12 mils. And this is what I recommended to our rider back Mm -hmm. in Garmin camp is we're going to lower your saddle in very tiny increments. I recommend about three mils per week that's a good, that's kind of a good baseline. Like three mils is enough to notice it. Like, hmm, so I was a little bit lower, but most people will adapt to that curve. And if you run into a sticky point, pause, mm-hmm. make sure you're looking after yourself, make sure you're doing all the things to look after your soft tissue and then let things settle. And anyway, so big picture, yeah, I would love to see people annually, but if they have a significant life event that impacts their physiology, definitely time to go have a fit. If you get on a team and now you've got a new saddle and a new shoe and a new cleat, definitely time to go see a fitter and take all your old stuff. That makes the fitter's job. um, We'll say, because fitting, when you're looking at someone holistically, it's always about context. So people ask me that all the time. I'm flying across the country. Do I have to bring a bike? Do you have a fit bike? Well, yes, I have one. (laughs) But the best case scenario by far is for me to see you on your bike. I can replicate every dimension possible. I also have a fit bike with adjustable crank mm-hmm. arms to answer the technology question, which was like yeah. three hours ago. Um, I have one of those and <laughs> it's a very handy tool. So I can do that, but it's still not going to be your right. bike. It's always yeah. best to see you in your native environment. How are you accumulating yeah. stress? That's right. So saddle wear, there's so many stories. Yes, little stories. Yeah. Cleat wear. Their, their, yeah. their, 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 their yeah. equipment tells you such a story. So you... we're kind of drifted into the medical versus performance. Right. So let's go into these questions. Okay. Wait a second. <laughs> Wait a second now. Todd said something that I want to ask uh, a question to. He said, if you haven't had a bike fit yet, go get one. Mm-hmm. Does everybody, every cyclist need a bike fit? Well, it's. I guess I say that because you could be lucky and be in the perfect position and have no problems, be the biomechanical 10, right? And be all That's good. a phrase I've heard before. Yeah. The, yeah. The bio- <laughs> but there's very few of those. So usually there's something that where you can improve. So that's what I mean by I think everyone should have a bike fit. And we get more and more of those riders in now. And those are the hard fits really, because like when I used to work at the sports medicine center for Andy, we'd only get the train wrecks, right? People had problems, right? Land of misfit toys. Yeah. (laughs) Those are easy fits because you can always change something, right? And you can always help the rider, like looking fruit. You can always help them. The hard fits are when, are when people come in and they're like, I have no problems. I'm perfectly happy. Mm. I'm just curious about bike fit and what it can do. You're describing me. I'm describing you, Chris. Yeah. That's right. I think when you came in, I think we 
change your saddle two millimeters or right, something, yeah. right? Because yeah. you, you right. didn't want to charge me if you didn't change anything. Right. Right. Well, <laughs> right. that's an so excellent point. It's hard. Because yeah. the consumer has an expectation that yeah. you're going to do, something. Yeah. do something. But sometimes there is no do to do. Like I saw you, Chris. I believe I made zero changes to your fit. Yeah. We ended up having a conversation about tucking the head and the chin yep. for aerodynamics and about pacing for your hour record. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's what I was like, you, I'm not changing anything. And, <laughs> and it takes yeah. – I would say it takes a bit of spine for a bike fitter to look at an athlete and do all their things and go, this is fine the way it is. We need to change nothing. And I've had that happen with a few athletes, yep. uh, more women than men. Yep. These but women, I think your point is you should still charge because you've gone uh, through the well, process. And you it doesn't mean you don't oh, yeah, benefit yeah, yeah. the athlete. You don't pay I, by the millimeter. Sure. No, no, no I, that, that was yeah. not my point but, but, at all. Yeah, but I like, think there's a yeah. – to get, enter the consumer's mindset, yeah. hey – I just paid 300 bucks and he did, mm. quote, nothing, nothing. right? Yeah. That's not no, the right you didn't mindset. do nothing. You assured them. Yes. And you did a full physical examination. You No, no, no. You assured them. I mm -hmm. think – and most people who flew across the, the world to see us, they're, they're, they're very satisfied to go home. You don't need a bike fit. You need spine fusion. You don't need yeah. a bike fit. You need an arthroscope. You don't – you need physical therapy. We're going to leave this where it is, <clears throat> you know, that, yeah. that kind of thing. This is so off the mark here, but we've said bike fit so many times. Mm -hmm. I think back to my early career, it was the athletic training room. And you answered the phone, see you athletic training. I said, this is stupid. We we're educated. I changed it to see you sports medicine. We were the first people in the country to change our training room name to sports medicine. The name bike fitter is so annoying to me. It's a pretty antiquated. <laughs> it's, uh, it is so demeaning. I got eight years of college. That is so demeaning <laughs> to be right. You're you're a biomechanist at, at a minimum. Mm -hmm. So when they come see you and you charge them three hundred bucks for a couple hours or whatever the going rate is, um, you 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 des you are they're paying for an expertise. Mm -hmm. um, now, if it's Joe Blow that just came out of a three day course and it's his first fit. They're a bike little fitter. different story. They're yeah. a bike fitter. Yeah. Right. They're not a biomechanic. Yeah, you're right. There's no, I mean, there aren't as many letters we can put behind our names. No. You know, There's after. no hierarchy here, really. Yeah. Well, which skips ahead to one of the end questions, but how do you find a good fitter or the resources? Yeah, let's and, save that. But back Another. to the bike fitter thing, it's the same with other professions. Like my wife works for the oil and gas. She does communications. My kids think she works at a gas station. <laughs> and, it's like, and when she used to work for the roads, like CDOT, they're like, oh, you're out there moving those barriers around. Like, you're, people don't know. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so they just yeah. say bike fit. And yeah. It's like yeah. they don't know you're a doctor. Right. Yeah, yeah, but it's, or, there, there's another good point here because I can tell you as a coach, I get asked all the time where I'm out riding with, mm -hmm. with athletes. And they go, oh, can you look at my fit? Is my fit good? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so here's the thing. If we're out on the road and I can look at you and see that your fit is bad, <laughs> you are a train wreck. <laughs> yeah, right. Most of the time. So anybody tells you, oh, yeah, I can see what's wrong with your fit while you're riding together. Yeah. They're selling you something. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't trust that. So you don't know whether your fit is good or bad until you go and see somebody yeah. like you who has that education and experience and can get you into the studio and take a look at you. And as you said, there's always that risk that they're going to look at you and go, this is perfect. Nothing, nothing you need to adjust. But you can't tell that out. That was another episode of Fast Talk. Subscribe to Fast Talk wherever you prefer to find your favorite podcasts and be sure to leave us a rating and a review. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual. As always, we love your feedback. 
Join the conversation at forums.fasttalklabs.com to discuss each and every episode and become a member of Fast Talk Laboratories at fasttalklabs.com slash join to become a part of our education and coaching community. For Dr. Andy Pruitt, Colby Pierce, Todd Carver, and Trevor Connor, I'm Chris Case. Thanks for listening.